But finally, the the check came into his account last week. He wrote us a check. I went and picked it up this morning. Two things, right? To have that kind of check, that kind of money in your hand, it's like, this is amazing. This is more than I'll make in like a decade, right? Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories, and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of One Visit Away. This week, we hear from Cliff Wilkes. Cliff is the Director of Major Gifts for the School of Nursing and School of Health Professions at Texas Tech University Health Sciences in Lubbock, Texas. His journey to fundraising took him through politics, grant writing, and broadcasting before landing in major gift fundraising. He's raised over $3 million in his current capacity and is only just getting started. And again, thank you all so much for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please go ahead and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'd like to give a shout out to our most recent review on Apple Podcasts from the BTW. Thank you so much. And everybody, leaving a rating review really helps uh, the show get more exposure. So if people are looking for podcasts about fundraising, they'll be able to find it more easily. So thank you so much for all the reviews. And I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Cliff Wilkes. Well, welcome to One Visit Away, Cliff. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so this is this is cool. One of my favorite things about the podcast has been, you know, sharing it on LinkedIn and then connecting with other development professionals and and I came across you because you you shared the podcast and said you're you're loving it. So tell everybody, uh a little bit about yourself and how you wound up in fundraising. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am the director of major gifts for the School of Nursing and School of Health Professions at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center uh, in Lubbock, Texas. Came here kind of, uh, I guess fundraising wasn't necessarily my my goal in the beginning. Uh, I have a political background. Uh, I was in radio, ran a radio station, uh, had a radio, political talk radio show for a few years, and then got into to fundraising. Um, throughout my whole career, I guess careers, multiple at this point, um, the underlying cause of what I wanted to do was was make a difference for people. And so when it came to fundraising, after looking for another job, getting out of the radio industry and, and, and really trying to dig into what I wanted to do, um, the fundraising really made sense. And it just so happened that the position I'm in now came up uh, the day I started looking for a job. So it was almost wow. almost meant to be, I suppose. Yeah. Um, wow. Here I am now, three years and a month to the day um, in this industry and loving every minute of it. That's awesome, Cliff. Uh, tell me what is what is it that uh, has you enjoying the podcast, and you know how do you see it impacting in your work? Okay, so uh, this is this is a really good one for me. I learn through stories, right? I could sit through um, a lecture. I could sit with the most prolific fundraiser that you ever ever seen. And sit with them and and listen to well, this is how you need to do it, or here's the theory behind it, or here's here's what you should do, and it would mean nothing to me. It would go over my head and go in one ear and out the other because it doesn't resonate. What resonates with me about your podcast is the stories, because I can take those stories, take those examples, and move them over into my line with my benefactors and donors uh, and our alumni here. And, and use essentially what you and your your listeners and your, your guests have done uh, and and take what I need to out of it and apply it to here. Um, I guess the best example of, of how this, this line of learning works for me, I went to a week-long training in Madison, Wisconsin for the Association of Healthcare Philanthropy. Right. Eight to five, sitting in a classroom, 
going through scenarios, doing the, the fundraising training. Uh, but then we'd all go out to, to dinner, to the bar afterwards and swap stories and talk and, and just get to know each other. And it's crazy because after I started talking about this to, to some of the other guys that, that um, have done trainings or that are in philanthropy, they kind of affirmed it for me is I learned just as much, if not more over a beer and a sandwich than I did sitting through that eight to five class of the theories. And, and of course there are stories involved in that, but, but it's, it's learning and hearing those stories that, that you can apply to what you're doing. And that's what resonates with me about your podcast. Um, and in all reality, hearing some of the stuff that you guys, that, that your, your guests and you have done have, have already made an impact uh, within our fundraising realm uh, I can't remember what episode it was. Um, I, I haven't gone in chronological order, right? So I'll look, <laughs> I'll look at your your topics and just say, all right, I think I like the, this one. We'll go with yeah, yeah, we'll go with this topic. And I can't remember which one it was, but you were talking about birthdays and how it was great. I think it was you. It was a solo a uh, solo episode where you were talking about uh, either calling or texting just a happy birthday, and and there was wow, no one's ever called me just to say happy birthday. And so uh, you went on to say about how, if you have data, that data, you can, it's an easy touch point, right? For your donors, just wishing them happy birthday. So working for an Institute for higher education, one in a system, we have a lot of access to data and we have really good databases to the extent that they are. Um, but yeah, you've got your blood type in there. You can, uh, <laughs> Not quite that detailed, but you know, we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> um, but we can go in for, with the birthdays, right? That's one thing that we, we like to keep up with. And so I literally just ran a list of all of our alumni from the two schools that I represent, school nursing and school health professions, um, of their birthdays and just went through and looked at the dates uh, just to reach out to some of them. You know, we don't have... Uh, correct contact information for some. It's just the nature of the beast. Uh, but for others, we do. And um, I compared it to giving history. And one name came out that really showed uh, a relatively high amount of giving uh, for for the position that she uh, presumably held. She's a school nursing graduate. Um Looked her up in our database. It was in an area where I'm not, uh, I, I don't, I'm not over. So I passed it along to my, my counterpart. Uh, my counterpart was able to go set up a zoom meeting with this, uh, this individual, find out what she was doing, find out why she was giving, find out her passions. And now they're talking about, um, talking about bigger gifts and, and wow. more. So you've wow. already made a difference in, in one area. Wow, that's awesome. That's really cool to hear. Wow, that's fantastic. So, so yeah, I I love that. I love that story hearing from somebody else and a, a role you played in that, but I know you've got some great stories to share, Cliff. So, if you could start off, I'll just pretty open-ended if you could share just one of your favorite favorite visits you've been on. Yeah, so one of my favorite visits is uh with a set of parents that uh, their daughter came to our school of health professions. Um, gosh, this was 15, 20 years ago that, that the daughter was, uh, was a student. Uh, she started off in this program, was doing great. About halfway through, had a major medical uh, condition. Uh, had to take some time off, came back, was able to complete um, her degree while being sick uh, with a 4.0 and was able to finish that degree with the help of, uh, of our students, of our students, other students, and, and our faculty and staff. Um, unfortunately, she graduated. She passed all her classes. She, quote, unquote, graduated um, in May. Our dean at the time, our program director, jumped in the car drove to the DFW area. She was in the hospital at the time. So drove to the DFW area, masked, masked, if I can say that correctly, masked up, um, 
before COVID, obviously, all got together, presented her with her diploma, um, had a little private ceremony for her. Uh, and unfortunately, the very next day, she she passed away. Mm. And, you know, the parents really saw that dedication with the students and with the faculty to treat their daughter with respect and go out of their way to make her final days um, really meaningful and impactful in that way. And so they, along with their, uh, along with this, um, with this young lady's class started a scholarship in her name an endowed scholarship, mm-hmm. which her parents have been giving to ever since. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it is not a huge scholarship. It supports a single student every year. Um, it creates a massive impact though, for those students, it creates a great impact for the family, uh, the parents, this student's uh, former student's um, sister. And so the visit, a little background on there, the visit, I'd visited with this couple um, probably three or four times over the phone, um, gone to their house in DFW. Uh, We sat down, sitting down table for for coffee. Um, the, The wife brings out a nice big piece of pecan pie yes and that pecan not pecan pecan because <laughs> uh, they would tell you you'd say pecan yeah, it, have it. in in the words of a famous chef uh that my family knows in new orleans uh where i grew up you you eat pecans the pecan is what you keep next to the bed <laughs> nice. nice i'm gonna start using it now oh so we're sitting there and um the the father looked at me and said, hey, Cliff, I just have to ask you, your title is Director of Major Gifts. Why are we major donors? We don't feel like we've given enough money to be considered major donors. And it was interesting enough because at the time, I had really started processing this idea of impact reports for all of my donors, not necessarily the big fancy um, spend a whole lot of money in design impact reports, but even just an email of saying, Hey, thank you for your gift. Here's what it's accomplished in the years that, that you've been giving. And so I had a little bit, a little bit of preliminary data, if you will, on this couple, um, and how many scholarships, uh, that been, that have been given out and kind of the impact that that had made, um, and since we live in a world of impact, I just went ahead and shared it with them. I said, listen, I don't want you to ever think that y'all are not major gift donors. Let me tell you about the impact that you had with your your scholarship up until this point and the potential impact that you have moving forward. So at the time, they had had about 25 scholarship recipients. Um, and so I had gone and looked at uh, the field in which they have their scholarship and seeing how long a, a typical health professional in this field spends uh, practicing, how many patients they see a year and kind of did some basic arithmetic and said, okay, you've had 25 um, scholarship recipients up until this point. They see about 1200 patients a year. Uh, you multiply that by 30 years and I'm terrible with math, so I'm not going to be able to give you the, the correct number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you pull up a calculator, you're going to start. Yeah, I'm going to – I'll do some kind of – so we're talking about uh, – t- so 25 students 25 students 30 years. Times 30 years, right? By 1,200 patients a year? 1,200 patients per year. I'll let you do the math. Okay. One and see. 900,000. So 900,000, right? So you've got 900,000. I said, so that's your immediate impact. That is the immediate patient impact beyond the 25 students that you've had. Now, if we step back a little bit further and go from a 15,000 foot view to a 50,000 foot view and take into consideration that the average family um, is just under three people um, in a household, you multiply that by three in the 25 years or the 25 students that you've had as this um, as scholarship recipients, you're looking at just under 3 million 
individuals that your contribution has impacted. And that's up until this point. That doesn't yeah. count the fact that your scholarship will remain into perpetuity and be a factor for generations to come. And, you know, it was just that kind of silence. They stopped for a second to think about it. And then um, the mom started started to tear up and, and just said, thank you so much for this information. We would have never thought about it this way. And I'm going to call her Betty. Betty was not her name. But she said, if Betty were still alive today, she would be thrilled with the impact that she's had. And so the impact is, is, is what we're shooting for, right? You don't ask money just to ask money. You ask money to make an impact. And why it makes an impact to different people is different. But the impact that this had on them, um, it, it hasn't resulted in any, any more additional funds. Um, so it's not a success from a funding story. Uh, but we created more engagement with them. They continue to give on an annual basis. Um, and they've been willing to be, uh, be advocates and, and kind of speakers into some of our, our events that, that we've had up until this point, uh, which has then resulted in, in more people wanting to give. So in, in terms of, of an impact, that's, that's probably one of my favorite events. The, uh, from personal standpoint, seeing that as you go to these people's house with the idea of we're gonna we're gonna talk, we're gonna talk about the impact a little bit, and 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 have a good time from this relationship, but seeing the look on their faces and the light shine in their eyes from from that one little conversation was was huge. It's it's one of those things where it's like this is why I do what I do. It's yeah. reactions like that. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I love that story. And I was even going to, so you made that comment about like, and you know, there hasn't been any additional giving like, like any increased giving since then. And I was even going to, when you were telling the story and you got to the point where it was like, you know, and they just saw the impact and they said, thank you. And like there were, you know, tears in her eyes and that can be the end of the story, you know, like, like, because, because, everybody everybody thinks for like oh the great fundraiser like and then he turned that into like this you know increased gift of five times the size like that that's not what it's about it's like they they've given their gift and if if all that happens from there is they are just extraordinarily excited and like grateful to be a part of it then that is a huge success and if they choose to want to give more, like that's great too, but it is not the ultimate measure of success. So that's a phenomenal story. I mean, it's the amount of people that, uh, I mean, we have our metrics, right? Development officers, philanthropy professionals have their metrics, right? The number of visits you have to have, the number of asks you have to have, the dollar amount you have to have. And if that's all you're basing your role as a fundraiser on, like that's a failure in my book. Your your job is to make connections. A development professional's job is to make connections and to provide impact and to help people meet their philanthropic goals and what they're passionate about. And so that passion is is what you're going for. The dollar amount is just is secondary in my opinion. And and from a practical standpoint, if you take care of your donors, the dollars will follow. If you're right. trying to take care of dollars, then you're not going to be very successful for very long yeah. in this yeah. in this industry. So we started with an impactful one. Let's let's uh, let's get to the more uh, depressing or hilarious side of the equation. Yeah, give me give me one of your worst visits, just oh, like right. where everything went wrong. <laughs> and this is it's not necessarily that everything went wrong. It was just brutal. And it wasn't just one. Like, that's the thing. <laughs> multiple visits, right? So when I came into this position, we had had, now there was one development officer before me that we had had for, she was here for four years, right? Yeah. Before that, they had had, I think, six development officers within a span of like three years, right? So 
it was just rotating development officers. And that kind of came through with donors and, and particularly with faculty. Um, cool. So, uh, so our school nursing, I'm a month into the job at this point, right? The dean of the school of nursing had had uh, knee surgery right before I started. And so this was going to be our first one-on-one in-person meeting. We talked on the phone several times, but this was going to be our first in-person meeting. And I thought, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to, here's priority, see what I can help with. And this is going to be, it's, going to be, it's just a good introductory meeting, right? Yeah. Well, I show up and he's got his entire um, executive team, like his leadership team, all the associates <laughs> sitting in the office. And so there's five or six of them who, at the time, I hadn't met yet. Now, several of them are my um, are are some good benefactors. They've they've created their own impacts, and I think a lot of it stemmed from this first meeting. So I walk in, and the dean opens up the meeting, and he's okay. Cliff, we're so glad you're here. I'm so sorry that I hadn't been able to meet you in person before this. Um, I wanted to bring my leadership team in so you can meet them and, and kind of talk to them about their programs and what they have to say. Fantastic. Went around the room, introduced everybody, told my story, and I'm just sitting there, I got my pen out, my paper out, and I'm ready to take notes. The first thing that came out of the out of which one it was, doesn't matter which one it was. The first thing that was said was, listen, we don't trust you. <laughs> And I'm going, uh, okay, <laughs> how long are you going to be around? We've had so many development specials come through here. It's like a rotating door. And so <laughs> next hour and probably 10 minutes, I just sat there and listened to how bad development was and how no one was attention to them and how... Uh, they're not going to trust me and they're not going to, they're not going to, um, they're, they're not going to give me, not, no, they're not going to trust me. They're not going to, um, they're going to be leery of me. And I'm just going, oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. That's, that's, that's bad. That's, that's good. <laughs> so finally at the end, one of them, I guess has realized that they have beat me with a crowbar. Long enough, and she just says, Hey guys, let's let's give them a chance to talk and maybe be a little a little a little less hard on him. Okay, um, I mean at this point I'm just my, my pen's on the table, my notepad's just sitting there, and I've got my hands in my lap just taking this. Right, uh, you know, uh, the thought now comes to me that yes, it is development professionals' role to sometimes take these kind of meetings, right? You're going to play the, that, the, the, the ear to someone's bad experience. But I was, I was like a, a punching bag for these, this, this leadership team. And the Dean's just sitting back with his arms crossed, looking at everybody, not saying a word. Like, oh my gosh, how am I going to raise money for these people? Right. <laughs> Man, maybe maybe there's uh, so much turnover because because of the welcoming committee. Right. That, uh... <laughs> that is one way to welcome people. <laughs> so I'm sitting there. Okay, um, I am sorry for what's happened to you guys in the past. Um, I've had experience with development officers and development teams previously that were not great. Um, there are some bad ones out there, unfortunately, as within the industry. I said, I am, uh, I can't promise you I'm going to be here next month. I can't promise you I'm going to be here in a year. I'm not going to ask you to trust me, but I am going to ask you to give me a chance. Let me earn that trust. I know you've had these bad experiences with all these development officers that have left after four or five months here is my plan for the next three years. I'd had a month to look at this at this time and just kind of plan out my next three, four years. So here's my plan. Um, 
I'm going to need your help with this. I can't do it by myself. You're the leadership team. You've been around. A lot of you have been around in the school for 20, 30 years. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask you for help. I hope you'll give it to me. I hope I can earn your trust. I'm not asking you to trust me again. I'm asking you to give me a chance. And all of them, well, uh, that's fair. That's fair. And as we're walking out the door, you know, we end the meeting and we're walking out the door. And one of them, who is now one of my great friends, and we have, I've actually got lunch with her on Thursday. Um, she walks with me. She said, hey, walk, walk with me to my office. So I'm walking with her and you're really good at taking punches. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of my job. It's part of my job. To, I think you really handled yourself well in there. And the respect that I have for you now after that is tenfold from what it was before you walked in. I said, well, wow. thank you. Um, <laughs> and so from there, she had been for the first year, I kind of made some inroads with, with the rest of them, but, but she really my, my go-to for that programmatic area. And we went on visits together. We traveled together. We closed a, quite a few gifts together. Um, and I think it all stemmed from me just listening, affirming their, um, uh, their concerns and just saying, Hey, let me earn it. I, I'm not asking you to give it to me. Let me earn it. Um, which I think is what we have to do. And so that was that part. And I told you that there were multiple visits that this happened. Right? And so that was the first one. The next two months visiting with existing donors to our school, it was not as intense as that, but the question I got from probably 85% of my visits that I went on was, Oh, another one. How long are you going to be here? Okay. Again, I can't promise you. Here's my plan. Here's what I'm hoping to do in the next three to four years. Um, I'm going to be around as long as I can. Here I am three years later, and I actually had a phone call with one of those, uh, one of those donors, gosh, probably three weeks ago. And he picked up the phone and he said, holy crap, man, it's three years. You've been here three years. Congratulations. (laughs) Oh, man. That that is awesome. I mean, it's not like anything went wrong on those, but those were brutal. That first three months was just brutal. Living with those donors, hearing the same thing. And I understood it, right? It's not like it's unwarranted. I'm the person you've dealt with in three years. Okay. I'm going to be, I'm going to be here as long as I can. And I'm still yeah. here. So. Yeah. That, that, that's awesome. So there's a, a couple things I want to comment on. One is uh, just that idea of, so like you were just sitting there and people were just telling you, like they were just, you know, telling you everything that's wrong with yep. your position, with the yep. types of people who work in your position and all this stuff. And this is something that's key. I had a tendency, and I think many of us have a tendency to hear criticism about our organization and take it personally. Sure. Um, like we're, we're so tied up to the organization that it's like, if, if a donor says something like, uh, I don't think this is the best way to approach that, or y'all aren't doing this in the, in mm-hmm. the best way. So much of my tendency was to get like defensive, and e- even if I didn't express it, it's how I felt oh, yeah. inside. And that shows up in your body language too. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. And so, so the the key is just like yeah, just being okay with like yeah, you, you've got to get comfortable being able to like take criticism and and also understand that just because somebody has negative things to say doesn't mean that they're not going to give or give significantly to your organization. They've just got like, you've just got to be there and listen to them and like actually like try to figure out like, is, is their concern something that we should really look into like changing and like, let them know that it's, it matters to you. That's, Um, that's, that's so true. Um, One of my favorite things to say 
in those types of situations, not in the beginning, because that wasn't an organizational complaint. It was more specific to the development team and the development staff and previous development officers. But when I hear you guys aren't doing this the right way, my favorite thing to say is, okay, um, how should we be doing it? What are your, what are your ideas? Tell us, tell us how we can be doing it better whatever that that complaint is and that opens up more conversations and that opens up more avenues of engagement not only from a a a monetary standpoint but from a connection standpoint yeah yeah for sure yeah this uh there's a lot of things we could say about it but i'm pretty sure it's in the book uh never split the difference by chris voss which i've mentioned before on this podcast he was the lead hostage negotiator for the fbi for a long time and and one of the i think it's in his book he talks about how like if if your boss th- this goes to the same thing like if your boss tells you uh you know you've got to get this done by you got to accomplish whatever by this date or something like that and it's and it's impossible to do instead of saying just like well that's impossible i can't do that exactly what you said asking him like okay, like, how do you recommend that I go about doing this? Like, I'm concerned about this. How would you overcome that if you were in my position? And so now, and it just leads to much more fruitful conversation rather than just like, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. I can't do it. Uh, 100%. 100%. I think the guys that uh, the the development officers and, and really sales in general as well, that take that approach of, well, I can't do that or not expressing it, but still believing in their heart that they can't do that and still go try. That's going to affect the way that they approach things and it's going to add stress and it's going to add uncertainty. And instead of having a game plan, you're just, you're scrambling to get things done because you have to meet this certain goal. Um, it's not a healthy, healthy environment at all. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, the the next thing I want to comment on, and this will lead me into the next story you'll tell, but this is uh, another key point is the importance of staying at an organization for a significant amount of time. Um, All of these people, and we see it all the time, like in so many different organizations, the development professional is there for six months, a year, two years. Like if if that's what you're going to do, you're never going to be very successful because it takes people. There's several things going on, but one is it takes people time to trust you. It takes people time to, if you're working on a relationship towards a significant gift, like your organization is never going to become someone's one of their top priorities within a six month period. People don't go from, yeah, we give a hundred thousand dollars to these three different organizations. And those are our number one giving priorities. And then awesome nonprofit shows up and we give them a hundred thousand dollars six months later too. It's, it's, it, it takes time to move up in people's giving priorities. And so, so one thing is, you're going to have things that are going to happen in your first six months, in your first year, in your first two years, three years, five years that are going to make you say, I want to leave this organization and go take another job. It's like, I I promise you it's going to happen. And if you're even like remotely successful, someone's going to offer you some sort of raise to go move there. And like, do, do not be enticed by a, you know, five or 10 or $20,000 raise to go work at some other organization uh, after a two year period. And then you never are able to provide a track record of like serious success. And that, that, yeah, you can comment on that. But the thing I'm going to ask you is how have you seen what I've just said come into play in your own career in the past uh, few months, Cliff? Yeah, I'm uh, so I'll comment on, on that. From one area, I know what story you want me to go to next, but I'm going to give it to another one because it it goes to this um, takes time to build a relationship. Um, but what I will say, I'll make a comment before I go into the story. Our vice chancellor um, for institutional advancement, who's over the whole system, we have four component institutions. Um, you know, we were talking. I have a every other month meeting with him 
kind of a mentor, mentee, mentor type deal relationship. And one of the first things he told me was, it was the turnover rate, right? 16 to 18 months um, is kind of the average for development officers. And he said, if you can last three years in an organization, you've now just made yourself gold in terms of marketability for new positions. And if you can last five years, everyone will want you because you have that knowledge, you have that experience and you've, you've built relationships and you've had that rapport and you know the importance of those relationships. You're not just, you're not just going after the next $10,000, right? It's, it's, you're invested in your organization and in all reality, it's probably going to take a whole lot, um, not from a necessarily monetary standpoint, but a passion standpoint to get you to move to another organization. And he's, he's right. 100% correct. And, you know, if you are even, like you said, if you're remotely good at your job, you're going to get headhunter calls. Um, you're always going to get the just form letter headhunter calls, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dear person, <laughs> our company is helping so-and-so with it. Yeah. Thank you. But no thanks. Um, but you will get some that that are really targeted towards you. They've, the, the firm or the um, organization has taken their time and looked at either your LinkedIn or seen your success through a mutual donor. Um, yeah. And they may come come try to try to steal you away. And you know, my advice to those people that happens in their first couple of years um, is really think about what you want to do. Is that a passion standpoint for you or are they trying to entice you with an extra $5,000, $10,000 that may be, and you're going to go somewhere that you're not happy. Right. Right. I mean, that, that's, that's part of the, part of the process. And, and I think can be part of why that's 16 to 18 month turnover rate. So yeah, yeah okay, for sure. Story about, I'll get to the one that you want. I promise. I promise. <laughs> but um, so it's this idea of building trust and building a relationship. One of the things that uh, that you say on almost an episode basis is referrals, 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 right? Referrals will get you into places. It gives you that instant credibility. Um, I had a visit with, uh, again, Dallas. If you're catching a theme here, I spent a lot of time in Dallas. Um, the dean... It's again school nursing dean, and then um, this uh, this associate dean that the one that had taken me, and we'd walk to her office and, and really built this good relationship. We were in Dallas, Dallas Fort Worth area, making um, some stewardship visits. We had our scholarship letters. Uh, one thing we do on an annual basis is uh, print scholarship letters uh, for from those recipients and uh, either mail them or if we really need to take them in person to a donor, we take them in person. Um, and so we were going to be in town already for some other visits. Uh, I think it was our, our national advisory board meeting, um, whatever it was, we were in Dallas. So we made these visits, we made several of them. Um, but the one that the, the one, <laughs> we went down, it's, it, there's a little wine bar down Mockingbird lane, um, it's in a shopping center. We didn't know it was in a shopping center. It's just kind of this random wine bar in the middle of a shopping center next to a pizza joint. And like, well, this was a great choice, but the donors wanted to go. So we went to this, this, it was their choice, not ours. So it wasn't necessarily a, Oh man, we picked a place that was not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not good at all. Um, got there a little early. It was, it was me, this associate Dean and the Dean. Uh, the donors walk in, we sit down at the table, order wine. Uh, we're sitting there talking and everyone's kind of has this, not on edge, but kind of a stiff formal um, uh, posture to their, to, to, to our conversation. Um, and for whatever reason, the Dean had to leave 45 minutes into the, into the visit. Um, he had other engagements he had to go to. And so he left and it was like the air left from the room, right? Everyone relaxed Everyone was smiling, kind of slouched a little bit. And and part of it was these donors had a relationship with this associate dean. They were friends. They used to live in Lubbock. They now live in Dallas. 
And while they were in Lubbock, they really formed this good relationship with this, this associate dean. And so we start talking and we're starting to get into more personal details um, of this uh, of this of these donors' lives, and it come to find out, the um, the husband in this uh, in this scenario had had a major um, cardiac event, we'll call it, and had literally like stopped breathing; his heart stopped. Um, the wife, being a nurse, was able to um, do chest compressions and resuscitate him for the EMT team that came and, and got him to the hospital. And so, what came out of that story was. You know, this really got us thinking about kind of what we're going to leave behind uh, on this world when when we die. I mean, we're this was an event that made us look at this in a sense of, hey, we have an expiration date. Yeah, we haven't done the things that we want to do. Yeah, and you know, this is this is the story where oh, and then the then the fundraiser mentioned something, and then (laughs) and so. Just, yeah, you're right. You're probably going to die really soon. So side What happened was I just said, I said, wow, that is, that's really impactful. It makes you really think about things. Said, Have you thought about what you wanted to leave from a philanthropic standpoint? And it really wasn't a question of me saying, well, what do you want to leave to the university? Right? It was more of a you know, you guys are, you, you give places, you're passionate about certain things. Have you guys thought about what you want to do uh, from a philanthropic standpoint? And they both kind of looked at each other and said, well, we really haven't. And said, okay, well, if it's for another organization, if it's for, for Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center, they, they have a scholarship here. And so it, it's not just a new conversation for them. They already have an existing scholarship. So wherever that needs to be, there are ways that you can create an impact um, once, once you pass to leave your legacy, um, whether that's uh, from a trust standpoint, whether that's leaving leaving us leaving an institution or, or your favorite organization in a will, um, you can have an impact and you can leave a legacy long after you're gone. And so they they oh wow that's a really good idea we've never thought about that before. And so you know we kind of ended that part of the conversation and 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 went on to the next thing. And then as we were leaving, I said, listen. I know you guys are kind of in this process. It's just happened. You want to start thinking about where you want to leave some of these impacts behind. Would it be okay for me to, um, to give you a call next month and uh, just kind of talk about what that might look like for Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center? And they said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Give us a shout. So we called them back uh, a month later and we started talking about it. Well, we really want to do this. We really want to leave a scholarship, not to our existing one, but we want to set up a new one. Um, we want it to be endowed. We want a permanent endowment. Um, here's what we're thinking. And, and they gave me an amount. And after that's, it's fantastic. Um, at the time it was, it was a current, what our current endowment level is right in, in universities. And I'm sure in other organizations, you have a minimum amount that you have to put into an endowment in order to create that endowment. And so at at the tech system right now, that's $25,000, that minimum endowment level. And so we started talking and I said, I want you to think about something. If, if you guys live, I'm sure you guys are going to live 20, 30 more years, right? If in 20 or 30 more years, this endowment level increases, um, the staff and the leadership team in that 30 years down the road may say, well, this doesn't meet endowment level. So we're going to, we're going to make this a current use fund, which means they can spend the money on scholarships all in one year if they want to. So if you guys are able to, and if you want to, uh, just as kind of a safeguard, I might consider doing uh, $50,000. I think that'll make sure you're covered all the way to the end. It'll be great. Um, it'll be great. Whatever you guys decide to do, um, I will put in that paperwork. If 25,000 is what you want to give, I'll put in that paperwork, um, as much language as I can to try to, to, to put up an argument. If that endowment level increases to still grandfather this one in, um, 
And uh, so, oh, we'll, we'll think about it. We'll think about it. Well, then they come back and say, okay, so our daughter is in, in a program over at the Texas Tech side, right? So we have Texas Tech University, which is an academic institution, the Health Science Center, which is kind of a medical, um, still academic, but a medical institution. We're really thinking about doing something over there as well, because our the faculty and staff over there have really treated our daughter um, just tremendously. So, well, we'd be happy to do whatever you guys want. If you want to split that up, if you want to, uh, and at this point, they had said, we lo- we're okay with the $50,000. If you want to split that up, we can split it right in half. 25 here, 25 there. If you want to do it all over there, we're happy to have you do it all over there. Whatever is best for y'all. So we brought in the development officer for that particular program. Um, had her talk about what kind of impact that could have in, in, in the school at Texas Tech. Um, all went and sat down for lunch uh, or dinner, whichever one it was. And then two weeks later after that conversation, I get a phone call. Hey, we went ahead and uh, we wanted to talk to you about doing a hundred thousand dollar plan gift and split both of them 50 50 between school nursing and the, this program over at Tech. Um, and we went ahead and created a, um, a life insurance policy and made you all the sole beneficiary, and we'd like it to be split between both schools. And so Started off as a simple, hey, have you guys thought about what 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 you wanted to leave from a philanthropic standpoint? Ended in this much larger gift than originally planned. Uh, but the point I'm trying to make is, had I not taken that associate dean with me, uh, had we not started been started that conversation, uh, been able to get into that personal conversation because that associate dean was there with me. I would have never, most likely never gotten to the point of hearing that impactful personal story and been able to ask the question of where do you want to leave your philanthropic legacy? Uh, and so in terms of building relationships, in terms of building credibility, if you can take um, a friend from a referral standpoint, if you can take a, a referral is great, but if there's a reason to have that person there, not from an ask standpoint, but just from a introduction, get to know you standpoint, you've instantly gone from, you know, step one in a 10 step process or whatever that number is to like a seven, right? You've instantly got credibility because you're this person's friend. And even more so because you're all sitting around a table uh, enjoying a meal or a glass of wine together. So the credibility standpoint, you're 100% correct. You need time, but you can increase that, that, um, that process in certain ways. And that's just one of the, the referral method is, is one of the ways to do it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I, so the first thing I'll say is this is reason number, you know, 584, why listening and asking questions is so much more important than what we say so like it's just getting them to the point where they were sharing about you know this near-death experience and that kind of stuff those are the kinds of things we need to know as development professionals it's not about what you know we're going to share in exactly the right way about what our organization does that's going to make people drop millions of dollars in our bank accounts that's that's not how it works. So that's, that's a phenomenal story. It's, it, it's one of those good ones that was a very good learning experience for me because after that, any chance I got to, to either have that personal phone call of, Hey, I want you to meet Cliff or, Hey, I want you to go to coffee with me and Cliff. Uh, I've used that. And it just increases credibility. 100%. Yeah. Uh, any other st- stories you'd like to share Cliff? Yeah. So we do have one. Uh, I do have one that, literally just closed this morning, um, dropped off the check at our system office, which was a great feeling to have on a Monday morning. Um, I don't know when this episode is going to air, but it is a Monday morning right now. So. Yeah. So it'll, <laughs> when you're listening to this, everyone, this was one week ago. Okay. Uh, there you go. So one week ago, this was an amazing day. So this particular donor has been giving to the school, um, for a long time, small gifts. Um, he gives at Texas tech as well. He gives all over the place. 
Um, he's an interesting. He's an interesting character. We'll call him Bob. Um, That's Bob, my go-to name for uh, for everybody as well. <laughs> so, so Bob. Bob gives away a lot of money. Bob gives away a lot of money. It's not necessarily that he gives a lot of uh, gives away a lot of money. Well, he does. To be fair, he does. But I, I'm, I'm making a joke that that everyone I talk about is named Bob, and so if you uh... <laughs> Bob has contrib- contributed billions to this. Book. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> so, so Bob has been giving um, multiple places at Tech, really in one area at TTUHSC, at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center, um, and he is kind of on his way out. He's been here for a long time. He's a faculty member, been here for a long time. Um, really wants to make a big impact. And, and Bob, in his quirky way, wants to do it Bob's way. So Bob wants to leave a million dollars to the system, right? Half of that to go to the, the school of nursing, half of that to go to Texas Tech University. But Bob wants us to do this in a way that outside of the box thinking is an understatement on this one. <laughs> so he starts off with Texas tech. He calls um, some folks over there and says, Hey, I want you to do this. I want you to have your guys go to um, our Congressman and have him put forth a bill that will allow donors to give out of their retirement count accounts up to at least a million dollars because Bob wants to give a million dollar gift from his retirement account, but he doesn't want to pay taxes on it. Okay. Well, IRS says you can give a hundred thousand dollars before your taxes income, right? From that withdrawal. Um, and so the folks over at Texas tech run a few traps, talk to some people and, and really just, um, I guess aren't going fast enough for um, for Bob's interests. So Bob calls um, the dean of the school of nursing, and this is after after a conversation we'd had um, through COVID. One of my one of my big things to do with existing donors was to call them, just check in on them if they have endowments here, um, kind of see if they're happy with those endowments. And so that was a conversation I had with Bob. Bob, you've got a scholarship, you've got this, um, his big passion is faculty development. I said, so you've got this, you've got these areas where you're giving. Um, what you, what he really wanted to do was set up a fund where uh, a faculty member from the school of nursing could just take off for a semester, do some research, get some professional development. Um, and in order to do that, you have to buy out classes, right? We can't just, have a faculty member just leave for a semester and not cover those classes that said faculty members is teaching. And so I said, well, let me see what, what that would take. Um, I know you're supporting a fund right now that will, um, that, that provides some kind of faculty development. I don't think it's at the level. I know it's not at the level that, that would require. So let me go make some phone calls and ask. And so he said, okay, I also want you to make sure this is something that the faculty want to do. Well, I can almost guarantee you this is something they're going to want to do, but I'll, yeah. I'll pull the staff and see if or the faculty yeah. if that's what they want to do. And so we went through and we had to we had to get to a certain level. We had to buy out three classes, um, up to three classes, because some faculty taught three classes, some teach two, and, and it's just kind of a tiered level. Yeah. And in order to buy out three classes, um, it gets to, I think it's about $21,000, right, to buy out these three classes. And so you have to get to a certain level. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was we needed another $300,000 to get to this level for the fund to be able to cover at least the class buyout, right? Right. And so um, got the poll results back from the faculty. They were 100% in favor of it. So I (laughs) – this is great. I think this breaks all your rules because it wasn't a <laughs> phone call. We didn't set up. A, we didn't set up a, a specific date to to, to follow up. <laughs> Rookie mistake, right? Right. I'm still entitled to some of those. So I, I, I sent him an email and say, "Hey, I've got all this information for you. Um, let's set up a phone call and visit about it." Crickets. 
for like three days, right? Yeah, yeah. Finally get an email back. <laughs> Only thing he says was, can you just email those to me? Good <laughs> thing, Bob. I sent Bob all the information. I said, the, the faculty love it. They want to do this. The, um, the, uh, it's going to cost you uh, for a contribution of $300,000. We can make this happen. Right? Yeah. It'll, get your fund to, it'll get the fund that you support to a level where you can do that. Um, and so uh, I said, let me know what works for you. We can chat next week, week after, whatever your schedule looks like. Um, if this is something you want to do, we can talk about ways to get it done. Get a response. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. Okay. My mind, like, I'm going to give them two weeks and I'm going to follow up with them. Right. So a week and a half later, I get a phone call from the dean or a text message from the dean. The dean says, Hey, um, you got a minute? Okay. Yeah. Let me just call me now. I'm good. Hey, I just got off the phone with Bob. Um, Bob wants to make a million dollar gift. And of course, I'm sitting at my desk going, A million bucks? Excellent. What can we do? <laughs> but Bob wants to do it in a weird way. And and so I hadn't known about this this conversation that he had with with the tech folks about um, about a congressional entering yeah. a Congress. And so they said, Bob wants us to see about either the chancellor or the president going to Congress to get a bill submitted that would allow him to do this million dollars without any tax benefit without any tax. Um, uh, without paying taxes. Right. <laughs> so the first thing out of my mouth, which if you work at a public institution for higher education or any state funded position, this should be the first thing that comes out of your mouth was we can't do that. That's not legal. We can't go lobby Congress. Um, and he's, I'm happy to talk to Bob about that, but let me run some traps to see if it's even possible. Right. I don't want to just say no outright. As a as a development officer, your job is to, at least I view it, um, as to go above and beyond for your donors, for your benefactors, to find ways to do things that they want to do, as long as it makes sense with the mission. And so, having the political um, connections that I've had from from a previous life, I just called some friends up in D.C. and just said, "Hey, I'm not asking you to do anything." I just want to know, is this a possibility? What would this look like? How would it work? And they said, yeah, we're not going to be able to do that. Like, that's just a non-starter. And, you know, backing it up a little bit, the CARES Act did some things with philanthropy that allows you to give a certain amount of money, give you, I think it doubled the amount that families could give, $300 to $600. Um, They get credit for and did a couple other things. One of the bigger things that it did was, allow you to um, donate a gift that would be tax deductible up to a hundred percent of your just gross adjusted gross income, which will come into play a little later on this story. Um, and so I said, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to call Bob back, tell him we're working on it, but ask him if we can set up a visit next week in case we can't do this to talk about other options on how he wants to get funded. Um, and so he said, okay, and he did. And I made the phone calls and it was like, this isn't going to happen from a political standpoint. It's just not going to happen. Right. I said, okay. Um, but, but the biggest thing that, that, that was told to me was this is a major change in, um, IRS tax law. This would be a major change in IRS tax law. Um, and even if we could get it done, it would take at least four to five years to get it done, right? And at this point, this guy could have funded through his $100,000 tax deductible or um, non-taxable gift from his IRA. He could fund half of what he wanted to do. So we set up the meeting. I included everyone, right? Because, you know, he wanted to give half to tech. He wanted to give half to school nursing. So I partnered with the guys that had been working with him at tech. Um, I went to our annual, our planned giving guy and said, Hey, how can we do this? Right? Think outside the box. Can we do this in a way? Can we set up a trust? Can we can we do this in a way where we can take money from his IRA, the million dollars, 
and not have him pay any taxes. So the first thing that our plan giving guy said, which um, was great, was, hey, this year, if he takes it out, if he takes a million dollars out, it's going to be counted as, as income. Well, for the rest of 2020, because of the CARES Act, he can deduct up to 100% of his AGI in a donation. And so, in theory, he could take a million dollars out as income, give it to us, and get a million-dollar tax credit, right? That would wipe out any kind of taxes he has to pay. Um so let's let's talk about this option, right? Let's get him on the phone. So I'm I'm on the call. I've got the dean. I've got like four development officers. I've got VP over at Tech, and so we're talking, and, and he's just like Bob's like, okay. I explained to him first. The dean introduces everything, and I just said, I've run the traps for you. It's just not going to happen. We can't we can't get this done from a legislative standpoint. Um, Legally, we can't do it from 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 an academic institution. We can't. Um, the, the change to the IRS code is is something that I don't think we could, and the folks that I've talked to don't think we could we could get past. Um, and even if we could, they're telling me that it would take four to five years to even get close to impl- implementing. And you could fund half of what you want to fund in that time. Well, I really understand. I, I appreciate you looking into it and understand that, that that's just the way it goes. Right? In my mind, I had built up that this was going to be a, a long conversation of him asking why we can't do that, him very upset. And it was, and I built myself up to this point to say, man, he's going to be mad and we're going to lose this gift. Right. And so it didn't happen that way. Nine times out of 10, it doesn't happen that way. But we came prepared by saying, we think we have another idea for you. We think we can get what you want done finished in the way that you want it done, just not exactly how you want it done. And so I brought my colleague over here to tell you more about it. So uh, our plan giving officer goes through all the process. If you withdraw it out of your funds, the million dollars, you can write that off from a tax standpoint. It can be deductible up to 100% of your AGI. So if you take it out as income, it will be income that will be counted in your adjust, adjusted gross income, and you can get a million-dollar um, tax credit for that, tax write-off. And in theory, that will, uh, that will wipe out any tax, uh, taxes you have to pay. Yeah. But saying that, I want to make it very clear that we are not giving you any kind of, of taxation or investment advice. Yeah, this is an option to you. We need to include your your CPA. We need to include your your tax people, your finance people, to make sure this is going to happen um, the way we think it will. And so, um, through some emails uh, in the next couple of days, uh, conversations with his CPA and with his um, his uh, IRA account. Gosh, the the folks that hold his IRA, if I can think. Yeah, financial advisor. Probably. There you go. We'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can do that. You can take this out. You can have it as income. You can donate it, and you'll get a million-dollar tax credit, and you won't have to pay any taxes on it. You may even be able to carry some over for the next couple of years and get more tax credit for it. Wow. Um, and so we were, we were thrilled about that. Um, this was three weeks ago. The paperwork, the internal paperwork for us, the internal paperwork for him and his financial advisors and his accounts. The paperwork is the devil and takes everything out. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, the the check came into his account last week. He wrote us a check. I went and picked it up this morning, handed it over, you know, two things, right? To have that kind of check, that kind of money, (laughs) this is amazing. I'll make in like a decade, right? (laughs) But there's also the idea of, I mean, I really don't want to be responsible for this check. (laughs) Yeah. It's a wire transfer. This is an actual check, and I don't want to be responsible for Bob's check. So I can't get people fast enough. (laughs) 
Uh, so this morning, dropped it off, closed the gift, um, and wow, just in the middle of COVID, um, because of relationships built not only with me and with our school, but across our Texas Tech um, component schools, to keep this relationship going and to really take advantage of the opportunities that we have when we have them, uh, we were able to close a million dollar gift. My first million. Wow which was a great milestone for me and, and really exciting for me. But, but yeah, got that done and um, looking forward to seeing the impact that this have and being able to share the, that this will have and being able to share, uh, share that impact with him. Wow. Well, congratulations, Cliff. That is awesome. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Matt. Yeah. That, that is such a good story on so many levels and such a unique, uh, a unique approach to how to give that gift and getting it done. So, and so one more thing, if I've got a couple, yeah, yeah, please that I'd add to this is, so I think we get territorial as development officers sometimes, right? It's, Hey, this is my donor. I'm going to take him. Whatever this donor does, it's going to be with me. I've never found that to be productive, right? Any of the larger gifts that I've gotten, the the donors I talked about with their their legacy gift, this donor, um, some other large gifts that we've done, larger gifts that we've done, it's all been about teamwork. It, it's it's worked across um, uh, across in our in our instance schools, right? So an academic setting, you've got different schools, you've got, and I think within our system we've got 35, 40 different development officers, right? And so it can get territorial pretty quick, but being able to work with them, um, not from our standpoint, but working with them for the benefit of what the donor wants to do, allowed us to close a million dollar gift um, really in a time when a lot of people are worried about closing any kind of gifts. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Te- teamwork is, uh, is teamwork an excellent thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like y'all are doing a, a great job of that over there. And I'm sure you've got some excellent uh, bosses who are ensuring that that's part of the culture, which, uh, which makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. We do have some great, uh, great leaders here that, um, that really push for that kind of thing. It's, it's, we're for our motto. We have, of course we have our, our values and our mission statement, but really what we push for is donor centricity, right? You should always approach this from a donor-centric standpoint and not what's best for us, right? What the donor wants, not what the organization wants. Now, they have to line up. You can't just, you can't just put it all on the, on the donor, um, but really kind of making that impact where the donor wants to make the impact. Man. Well, thanks a lot, Cliff. This was a great episode, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Likewise. That was Cliff Wilkes with the School of Nursing and School of Health Professions at Texas Tech University Health Sciences. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can like One Visit Away on Facebook or connect with me, Kevin Fitzpatrick, on LinkedIn. If you really want to help the show grow, please personally share this episode with other development professionals. I hope Cliff's words have inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from letting a benefactor know how incredibly impactful their giving has been over the years or helping someone to make a $1 million gift to your organization.